1: Lee Cantor here, another episode of Atlanta Business Radio, and this is going to be a good one. But before we get started, it's important to recognize our sponsor, OnPay. Without them, we couldn't be sharing these important stories. Today on Atlanta Business Radio, we have John Letter with Proem Behavioral Health. Welcome, John. Thank you for having me, Lee. It's great to be on with you. Well, I'm so excited to learn what you're up to. Tell us about your firm. How are you serving folks?
0: Yeah, uh, so, by way of background, pro Behavioral Health is a, we call it a workflow technology engine. It's a software product that was developed using really best-in-class assessment tools from the foremost psychiatrists and psychologists around the world that developed these tools to comprehensively and accurately assess broad patient populations to help get to the right diagnosis and then certainly to follow patients. These were renowned psychologists and psychiatrists that we built an exclusive digital licensure with to provide these services around the world. And really what we do is we work with providers of behavioral health to screen large populations, say, say a primary care physician that's seeing um, many patients can screen these patients to determine if further evaluation is necessary so there's a population based approach to it and then for those that require further evaluation we have structured we're called structured interviews effectively are comprehensive interviews that are looking at a multitude of possibilities as an example if someone's dealing with uh, what they believe to be anxiety these tools are designed to uncover is there something driving that anxiety is there a traumatic event that a person has had in their past. So it's really about triaging and comprehensively determining what the issue most likely is. And then that, that gives a provider a great understanding very quickly through the use of technology. And then when they make determinations as to what's happening, it allows our, our platform allows they and their patients to sort of follow the progress of their treatment so that they have visibility and an understanding and a dashboarding manner of reporting way how their therapy is working for them. So that's really pro in a nutshell.
1: Now, for the layperson that isn't kind of on top of these issues and isn't aware of maybe even some of them, behavioral health, you mentioned psychiatry as one of the people who deal in yep. behavioral health, but that includes also addiction there's other things that a person that could be afflicted with a variety of ailments be, fall under that umbrella of behavioral health. Can you kind of explain some of them or what, or sure. at least identify what some of those kind of bigger buckets are?
0: Yeah, it's a great question. You're exactly right. We say those that are providing behavioral health services, they're providing them in different settings for different reasons. You'd mentioned substance use disorder clinics. It's It's some of the providers that we help right typically when and typically is in a majority of the cases when someone's suffering from a substance use disorder as it's called Um, uncovering underlying mental illness or or behavioral health issues is very very important to treating that substance use disorder Um, the same is true for uh, pediatric care for for children um, or primary care physicians or behavior behavioral health providers or frankly, researchers Lee that are um, researching and developing new drugs or um, new medical devices or behavioral health um, information. So it's a very broad spectrum with of behavioral health um, that we're helping to um, help them get it right. Frankly, and I, I think the other thing to note is that it's not just psychiatrists or psychologists. Um, There are licensed clinical social workers and what we call qualified health professionals, Um, licensed clinical social workers, licensed professional counselors, um, MDs, DOs, PsyDs, PhDs. So very broad range of folks that are providing behavioral health care.
1: And this um, this also can uh, be geared to folks that have like chronic issues. Right. Because staying compliant with a a protocol or. a way of dealing with their issues, and they're not if they're not compliant, then all of a sudden that's a domino effect that can affect many things. So, in order to get them on the right path, you have to kind of know where to begin and how to kind of keep them on track, right?
0: You're exactly right. Um, I, re- I was reading yesterday something from, I believe, it was the American College of Physicians. That talked about treating uh, diabetics, and one of the one of the protocols that you follow in treating a diabetic is to um, look for um, underlying mental illness, co-occurring things, comorbid things that are happening to that patient, so that you can properly address those in the procurement of better care for the diabetes. So you're exactly right.
1: So, um, how did this uh, come about? Like, what, what's your backstory?
0: Uh, prom started with um, our founder who is a, a a family practitioner um that dealt with some personal tragedy in his life and and as a practitioner wondered um how can I miss it uh, you know I'm a doctor I'm supposed to see these things so he started researching how do we get the right tools in the hands of the people that are the front line at the time, family physicians, primary care physicians, and how do we assess broad populations? And he kept finding his way into the clinical and academic research world where all of these, this great thinking and these tools were designed to um, include or exclude someone from a depression drug study. For instance, you don't want a person in a depression drug trial that has underlying bipolar two disorder because that the efficacy of that depression drug um, will not meet the FDA standards. So it's he found himself there and then realized through these licensing agreements, hey, you know, we can take error out. We can take bias out by building these into modern technology interfaces that do a lot of the the legwork, the algorithmic work that sits behind a lot of these complex tools, so that's really how ProM came about.
1: Now, um, so how does it work? Like, give me an example. Say that I have one of these disorders or an addiction. How does the the software help my um, uh, the person that's taking care of me? Number one, make sure they got they got me on the right path. Number two, keep me on that path. Like, like how does it kind of watch? My back and protect me from myself. Some of the times,
0: yeah, um, that's the what we call outcomes measures and and dashboarding. So the ability to look at a a person once they've been diagnosed and a treatment plan has been acted. Now you're talking about what you're saying, like how do I stay on the rails, if you will? Um, we we have these tools that are designed that automatically follow the patient um, through. By assessing them on a continuous basis to ensure across multiple um, pieces from from managing symptoms. So, if you're treating a person for depression, there are symptoms that you're treating, right? So, we have the ability to look at Lee, what you know, once a week between therapy sessions, and ask him how he's doing with with those symptoms in addition um we look at what in in the behavioral health world is a very critical thing to ensuring successful treatment it's therapeutic alliance so um am i getting along with my doctor and vice versa are we getting each other so that that's another piece of it so you've got you know you're managing symptoms You're ensuring that the patient and the clinician are aligned. And if not, what do we need to do to do that? And then ultimately, we're looking at a a third piece of it that's called functional impairment. But effectively, how are you doing in your life? So you may think that your symptoms of anxiety or depression are getting better. But if you've also told us that you've missed work for the last five days, the clinician wants to have that conversation. So it's really a um, comprehensive look into how am I doing through my treatment and how quickly in real time through technology can we make adjustment adjustments as a patient and a provider together to help you get where you need to go.
1: Now, are these kind of... Um interactions done using technology or is it a human to human interaction where someone is calling or someone is emailing or there there's some kind of yep. a human you know checking in because i would imagine with today's technology and all of the you know watch devices you have okay. you can glean a lot of information that maybe the person's telling you one thing but their you know resting heart rate is telling you something else
0: Um, You are exactly right. And, you know, if we were to have a conversation about where it's going, um, that is certainly a significant part of what's in in our near future and things that we're investigating. One of the things that we try and make sure um, as it relates to what what you're calling passive data collection um, is the accuracy of it, the clinical efficacy of it, and then the patient acceptance of it. Um, but in terms of how it's delivered, there are multiple ways that it's delivered. It is all delivered through technology. Um there are there are uh, patient um, responses. So a patient can self-report um, through the through the technology platform back to their clinician in real time, in between visits. There are times that um, when you're in a visit that that a clinician may be performing, um, this on your behalf or asking you questions, if you will, all of which is done within the platform to provide real-time results. Um, and then there are Confederates that can, you know, provide these things on a clinician's behalf, um, and a nurse practitioner or someone else that, you know, is interacting with the patient prior to, but it's, it's all delivered through technology. Um, but you're hitting on what the future is. How do we use passive uh Technology to ensure heart rate's a great thing that you'd mention heart rate variability. you may be saying one thing, but your heart rate variability is telling us another so there's a there's a lot of really cool things to help this world um that we that are certainly on our roadmap
1: now are the interactions as simple as like they could receive a text that says, "How are you feeling right now
0: yes it can be as simple as that what we use primarily are are um these evidence based what what are called monitors and and functional impairment tools that are that are simple questionnaires um, that people respond. You know, treating mental illness, there isn't an X ray machine or an MRI. It's it's very complex. So how people respond is very important. But it's you know it's how a clinician reacts to that response based on their experience with the patient and their experience in general. That's really important um, context in treatment.
1: And um, how are the patients responding to this? Is this something that they're open to, or is this just another thing they got to do? And then, you know, they're saying whatever they got to say to be done with it.
0: Yeah. Uh, acceptance is, you know, I've been in healthcare now for about 10 years. And what's really interesting about behavioral health is is because of a lot of the frustration that has existed, Um, And, you know, patients that are ping ponged around when when they find what's working for them and their clinician, we find that they're very engaged. Allowing a patient to be part of their treatment, to visualize, to see the differences over time so that it's not a black box. It's not something that I don't go like, as one psychologist said to me recently. Um, you patients don't just come in and lie on the couch and we we stand there with our our arms folded and take notes. Um, there's a lot more to it. So we have found that involving the patient in showing them this is working for you um, has really created great engagement with. them.
1: And then uh, are there or what are they the safeguards to just prevent a person from just telling you what you want to hear?
0: Yeah, we're, we're we're providing support. Um, it's always up to the the clinician, the expert, to ultimately determine um, the truthfulness. Whether whether someone's just trying to get you off—that's why we're looking at it in a, in a multi dimensional way. You may be saying one thing here, um, but doing another elsewhere. So these these
1: tools are built with those. Um, Kind of checks and balances are kind of
0: those things in mind yeah yeah that's that's uh, we could talk for hours about this but um yeah and and I will tell you that yeah, you know, to the extent the to the extent that um passive data that's collected can be beneficial and it's efficacious um I think there's a huge opportunity in treating in in the world of treating behavioral health issues
1: well I think it's fascinating just the just kind of the category of behavioral health is fascinating to me. And then now you layer on technology um, to help in that area. I think there's a lot of possibilities. What has kind of been the experience of probably a lot of folks that are in the behavioral health side of the, the room, you know, embracing technology and embracing all these tools? And has that been a smooth transition to like, because you're really a tech firm, you know, when you're delivering this service right. to this space that there's a lot of folks in there that may not be as, you know, kind of have that tech startupy early adopter mentality that a lot of tech folks have.
0: <laughs> yeah. I, I you know, I would be, we look at these things every day, sort of who is the ideal customer? Um I, I would tell you there are those and you're always going to have naysayers. There are people that, you know, um
1: no it's been done a different way for a long time and then they don't want to be the first one in the pool
0: and that's it so you know if you look at the adoption curve in the in the classic sense those are sort of would be the laggards um i I will tell you that that uh we find ourselves with those that are more tech savvy um uh, you know it's more natural to them but what we find more broadly is people that are that um providers that are really focused on having more data at their fingertips and making their practice more efficient because you and I both know there's less and less time. There's there's tons of pressures on providers to get it right and quickly to move on. So we've had pretty good acceptance rates as it relates to helping them um, get to the right answers more quickly and efficiently. So So technology obviously does that. Um, but I, I would be I would be fooling us both if I were to tell you that there aren't laggers that exist in in every domain of, of business, particularly when you're dealing with technology.
1: Now, um, I would think though in some ways this is a good time to be having a, a service and a product like yours because mental health is so, at the fore, it seems like there's so much more acceptance or it, like this generation, there's so much less shame around a lot of these issues yes. that uh, back in the day, maybe uh, when we were younger, there was some shame. There was that nobody was talking about the, a lot of these issues, but now it seems that the more and more people talk about it, more and more people are taking action and getting help.
0: Yeah, it, it is happening. And, you know, I think there's a natural evolution for anything um, I think a lot of healthcare is is still, to an extent, stigmatized. As as I've said to people many times, you know, people don't stand around the water cooler if there were one and and say that there I'm aging myself, um, and say, hey, I'm a type two diabetic. How about you? So there is this sort of there's an opportunity within um, mental health that I think doesn't exist in other places. A, a larger opportunity because of um, that it's become mainstream that, you know, we, that we have thought leaders or, or celebrities that are comfortably talking about their experiences. We're, we're fooling ourselves. If we don't think that we don't deal with some sort of behavioral health issue or mental illness in our lives, it's just a reality. Um, so to the extent that we continue the conversation and, um, make it acceptable to have the conversation the more and more we do that i believe that um the less and less stigmatized um mental illness and and seeking help will be
1: yeah i mean you were talking about people aren't you know bragging about having diabetes they i mean some people i don't want to say they're bragging but they are outwardly talking about how they've been in therapy and have they've gotten help and you know you they're encouraging their peers to to go down those paths where I mean that's really a new world for a lot of folks that that wasn't the case for forever
0: uh, you know they used to be called um, uh, mental institutions or sanitariums like just by virtue of of the history of, of treating mental illness there is sort of this scourge associated with it. And and I think you're right. I think generationally um, it's, it's become more acceptable and to an extent, maybe more uh, uh, fashionable is probably a poor term for it. But um, that's great from our perspective. Like that's step one. Yeah. Um, to do something
1: about it is step two and the most important thing. And then, and I think because a lot of these younger people are looking at technology to solve a problem they have faster. So anything you have along these lines that does that, they're in. You know, they'll give it a shot. Yes,
0: um, you're right. And and you know the the I think the one thing that's also important to note here is that although you know the the illnesses themselves and and we we say mental illness for a reason because it is it's like a physical illness that's the parody part of the paradigm that we're trying to you know convey um although it's very complex it's very treatable and you know getting help there's only good that can come of it so you know it's it's although the issue may be complex there are ways that you can solve it provided that you're willing to put the proverbial work in
1: so what do you need more of how can we help you are you do you need more talent you need more technologists you need more clients uh what do you need
0: you always you always need more of all the above um clients i think we appreciate that sort of getting the word out this ability to provide thought leadership to a marketplace um, from our perspective, you know, to the extent that you, we can have conversations with your with your listeners um, that are dealing with these issues, um, hospital systems dealing with overwrought emergency departments because people don't have a place to turn, um, behavioral health specialists or primary care specialists that are. Um, seeing these things on a typical basis, we can help them um, get the right answers. If it's nothing more than uh, giving a, a primary care physician um, a head start as to where to send a patient if they themselves won't treat them, uh, that is is sort of we hope that venues like this allow us to to open up doors to.
1: Well, if somebody wants to learn more, have more substantive conversation with you or somebody on the team, what's the coordinates? What's the website?
0: Yeah, please do go to um, proemhealth.com, P-R-O-E-M-H-E-A-L-T-H.com and ask to speak with us. We would love to talk to you.
1: Well, John, thank you so much for sharing your story today. You're doing important work and we appreciate you.
0: Thank you, Lee. We really appreciate you offering this this opportunity.
1: All right. This is Lee Cantor. We'll see you all next time on Atlanta Business Radio.